Hi folks, it's Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Coming to you once again from Hot Springs Village, Arkansas, high atop Highway 7 Ridgeline from TSPN, the Survival Podcast Network Headquarters. Today is episode 767. It is Thursday, October 20th. And what we're going to talk about today is winter preparations. Um, so pretty cut and dry stuff. Stuff that basically everybody should be doing, whether you consider yourself a modern survivalist or a prepper or just a person that lives somewhere where it gets freaking cold outside. In fact, this might be a great show to share with people that you want to share preparedness with who maybe aren't as open to some of the other subjects we talk about. Because when you start to think about any part of your life uh, where there's a legitimate chance for injury or misery or death, all of a sudden you start to evaluate the whole thing. So, for instance, people generally start to think a little bit more about how much life insurance they have uh, when someone gets sick in their family, even if they don't pass away. If it's something that kind of focuses in on this could have happened, all of a sudden maybe we need to make sure dad and mom have enough life insurance so the kids are going to be taken care of. And I think there's a lot of that to be gained when we just start looking at things like hurricanes and tornadoes in winter. And hopefully that will lead us to more of a preparedness culture, which of course is the goal of the Survival Podcast. It's not about tin hats. It's about being prepared for life and being prepared to assure that you have a good quality of life going forward. Before we get into that, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day, number one today, Western Botanicals. When I need anything herbal and it ain't in my house or outside of my yard where I can go get it, uh, I cart myself over to westernbotanicals.com and I look up whatever I'm looking for and I always find it. When I have a problem or my wife has a problem and we would like to do something to improve our health without resorting to pharmaceuticals and conventional medicine, then I pick the phone up or I send off an email to Dr. Kyle Christensen and he or remember his staff gets back in touch with me, tells me what I need and is very, very helpful. You might think that the reason I get that treatment is because they are a sponsor of the show. You would be wrong. If you talk to anybody in the audience who's uh, phoned up Western Botanicals and asked them for their help, they've got the exact same treatment. That's why I love Western Botanicals. You're going to get great help and a great product. Remember, all of their herbals, whether they're whole herbs or herbal preparations, are either wild-crafted or organically grown, top-quality stuff. And some things that you wouldn't find anywhere else, you'll find there. So check out westernbotanicals.com today. And remember, if you're in the member support brigade, they have a preferred membership. It's $50 a year. Uh, you get that for free as an MSB member. It's a one-year program, $50 a year. When it comes up for renewal, your renewal rate is $25 bucks versus $50. Bucks. So it continues to pay for itself over and over and over again. Uh, next up today, knifekits.com. You know, if you really want to learn how to make knives, Knife Kits is a great place to go. Um, they sent me a couple kits with some handle material and a DVD on making fixed blade knives. And I was able to give away two sets of those to people at the uh, uh, Self-Reliance Expo in um, Salt Lake City. And I'll tell you what, just by looking at them, I realized it's something anybody can do. You might need to learn a little bit about hand tools and things like that and sanding and fitting and cutting. Uh, but with a DVD or a book and a basic kit and some handle material, anybody can make a knife on their own and make something really unique and customized to their taste. Uh, I definitely think it's a good skill to learn. And if you're like a master bladesmith and you're looking for raw metal to forge and shape into a blade, you can get that there too. So it's for everybody like the beginner like me to the experienced master bladesmith will find what they need at uh, knifekits.com. And when you're there, uh, they have a catalog that I actually enjoy paging through their catalog a little bit better than browsing a website. You might want to request that catalog, uh, good reading material over the winter months that are about to come. Next up, remember, you can connect with me on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. We do have a new videographer. Uh, we'll let you know exactly who he is once we start releasing some of the videos that he's going to be doing for us. But I brought in a part-time videographer that will be coming out to our place and shooting the video, taking it home, doing the editing. That way it will get done. I thought that was important. A lot of people have been asking for more YouTube videos. Well, they're coming, and this time they're coming because we got somebody on payroll to take care of all the parts that actually take me so much time. Uh, I can shoot four videos in an hour, but it takes me, you know, four hours to edit one video. So we're gonna we're gonna try to make that more of a production schedule for you guys. So at least a couple new videos every week. 
Uh, next up, remember, you can now catch us on the Prepper Podcast Radio Network. That's at PrepperPodcast.com. Prepper Podcast Radio Network over there with Doc Bones and Nurse Amy and a lot of other great folks they have in their lineup. Our show is featured on Thursday afternoons from 3 to 4 p.m. Central Standard Time. And uh, I'm still waiting from John over there to get back to me on their distribution channels, but they have a way that they reach a lot more people uh, than we do just with the Internet, with some type of thing that people can listen in their cars, some kind of satellite radio thing that tunes into the Internet. I'm not sure exactly what that is. I'll let you know more in the future. But you may want to check out Prepper Podcast Radio Network for some variety in your survival podcast and Prepper Podcast-type stuff. Uh, next up, uh, remember, last day... Actually, two days left, the bulk ammo uh, contest. You go over to their website, ask a question about a particular product, and you can win up to $500 worth of free ammunition. So check out bulkammo.com's contest. I will put a link in today's show notes, but there is only two days left, today and tomorrow. Uh, last but not least, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade. If you do that, you get exclusive content available only to members. You get a lot of great discounts like the one I mentioned from Western Botanicals. That's worth 50 bucks. Um, the Safe Castle discount membership is a lifetime membership worth $29, so that's $79 in two free memberships you get for $50 a year. And you're supporting the show at $0.20 cents an episode. Of course, there's another 28 vendors that offer discounts, over $100 worth of free ebooks. Really cool program, lots of great stuff. Uh, people tell me all the time if they use it, it pays for itself. Uh, last but not least, remember, if you are military, law enforcement, or Peace Corps, send me the details of your service. I have a special member support brigade discount just for you. With that, let's go ahead and get into the topic of today's show. Um, winter's been coming for a while, <clears throat> and I get a lot of questions about winter prepping. And a lot of times I just I don't get really excited about doing a show on winter prepping. And the reason is simple. If you do all the stuff we talk about all the time, you're, you're about as well prepared for winter as you can be. Um, and I would think the person that's doing all of the other stuff would take a look at all the winter stuff going forward. But I realize it's actually not true because I myself have uh, occasionally said, well, I'm going to rely on something if, and then if came up, and it didn't quite work out the way I'd planned. Now, fortunately, because I believe heavily, heavily, heavily in uh, the concept of redundancy, which I've done entire shows just on redundancy, whenever that thing I was depending on didn't work, there was always a second system or even a, a third system to back it up. So I've not really had to do without, but it also makes me realize that I shouldn't ever put myself in that situation. And if I do it, you guys have probably done it as well. So I'm going to go through kind of a checklist on prepping the home, prepping the car, making plans when you travel, uh, a winter car kit, and some common sense procedures. This is not an exhaustive list. If I wanted to you know, give you every single thing on a checklist that you need to do to prepare for winter, especially those of you a lot further north than me, this show would be four hours long. I try to keep it around an hour to an hour twenty a day. So there are some, you know, some redundant things that we didn't bring up. So if I went through a winter car kit, there's a lot of stuff that would be in there like a knife. Well, I hope you have a bug out bag in your car or a, a bug out vehicle kit or just a basic vehicle prep kit that has a knife in it anyway. Besides, there should be a knife around your neck or in your pocket at all times. So we're not going to talk about knives, if, if that makes sense. So just because you don't hear something today, I want you to understand it's not left out. It's probably because it's expected that you would have it if you're into a basic preparedness mindset anyway. Uh, also, some of the things we will talk about, uh, you would expect that, but yet they have a very specific winter application. Um, but what made me want to do this show is today I walked out of my house with my dog, and uh, I actually put my car hard on instead of one of my windbreakers because I could tell it was cold outside. We didn't have the heat on or anything. Just You could just tell from the inside temperature that it was kind of cold outside. I went outside and could see my breath, and uh, there was ice or frost, if you want to call it more accurate, frost on the windows of the trucks and the car. And that was the first time I'd seen that this year here. Now, I know some of you, that's summer in Montana, right? You can get that. I didn't go down to freezing. Uh, there was no frost on any of the vegetation or anything like that. It was just the metal surfaces and the glass surfaces that were heavily exposed. But it kind of, you know, trips the, 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 you know, ticks the, ticks the box of we've crossed over. This is not summer anymore. It was, it was 91 degrees a couple days ago. Uh, once you have this kind of a cold snap, you might have a warm day here and there, but you're not going back. We're, we're into fall and heading for winter, and I thought this is the time that we need to talk about this. Now, I know some of you up in the northern climates might be like, man, it's been winter here for a month. Uh, and even though it's technically fall on the calendar, it's cold and it's freezing every night or what have you. And I understand that, but, um, you know, we're broadcast all over the world. 
So for me, that was the shot in the arm to get on and do this show. And I think that anywhere you're at, you still have time to get most of this done. Um, let's start out with winter prepping the home. And some of this is some really basic stuff you'd probably hear on a handyman show. And I think it's important to bring it up because I think that a lot of times preppers will ignore uh, some of the basic stuff. It's just like when we talk about modern survival lifestyle. And I say there's certain tenets to that. And one of the tenets is don't ignore pragmatic pre preparations like life insurance. Right, So you have a prepper that's prepared for the apocalypse, but he's not got his life insured. He gets killed in a car, and his wife's left with bills and the kids and no income. So we need to make sure that we don't make that mistake and think because we're very, very prepared in one way that we don't prepare ourselves in very basic ways. So one of the first things you might want to consider doing this time of year is calling up your local HVAC company and have a furnace inspection done. And make sure everything's functioning and working the way it's supposed to. Because on the first day that it gets really freaking cold and something blows up on you, uh, there's going to be a lot of other people with one blown up, and you might be waiting a very long time to have someone come out and fix it for you. Um, it's also the case that you know furnaces, especially if you're using gas heat or something like that, have a potential to be a safety hazard. Now, we'll talk about some ways to mitigate that in a minute. But if it's going to be that way, you'd rather just know about it right away. So having your furnace inspected is really a good idea. If you're a kind of a handyman guy and you know how to inspect your own furnace, that's fine. But somebody should check it out. The next one is if you have a fireplace, and many of us do, this is a great time of year to either get the equipment to do it yourself, which is basically a brush and some, some poles and uh, a good shop vac, or pay somebody to come out and, and sweep your chimney. I can't tell you how important this is. When we first moved into our house in Arlington, uh, Texas, you know, we were really looking forward to having a fire. And I, you know, first couple times it was cool enough to do it. You know, in Texas, you're talking December, getting near Christmas. I put one of those cheap little fire logs in there and I knew that wasn't really going to be that big of a thing, uh, to worry about. And I, you know, got a bunch of firewood delivered. I mean, we did not have time to go out and do this on our own our first year there. And, uh, my wife wanted to have, and I said, you know what, before we put real wood in there, we need to go and get a chimney sweep in here, sweep this chimney. When the guy came out, I was working from home at the time, so I was home and she was off at work. Uh, he was literally scolding me for how bad the chimney was. You know, he's like, do you see this? Do you see how bad this is? This could have started. I'm like, dude, we haven't had a fire, a real one anyway, in there yet. Um, we called you before we did that. And he was like upset that the chimney was that bad. Apparently the people that had owned the house before us had probably burned either some wood they weren't supposed to burn, like, I don't know, cedar fence is a really dumbass thing to burn in your fireplace. Or possibly they had burned some really wet, moldy, stinky wood that had created a really bad black residue in the fire, fire to the chimney. Uh, having your house burn down around you in the winter when you're trying to stay warm is not a good idea. You'll stay warm for a very brief period of time if you get out alive. So fireplace cleaning is a great idea. Whether you do it or a pro does it, it doesn't really matter. It does not take a genius to do this. The equipment is not that expensive. Most of you that live in places where fireplaces are common, you can go down to Lowe's or Home Depot and talk to the man that works the aisle where they have that stuff. He will tell you everything you need. I will tell you that getting a, a shop vac is a great idea because you're going to want to vacuum all that crap out of there and not scoop it out of there uh, when it comes down out of there. It's a dirty job. Uh, it's probably worth investing in the stuff to be able to do yourself to make it sustainable long term, but, but, I don't care if you don't want to do it, then get somebody to do it for you, especially if you've used that fireplace three or four or five seasons without uh, having it clean. Please do that. I don't want to see anybody lose a house, especially like on a Christmas party where it's all cute. We're going to put the fire in there. Uh, it's very, very important. Uh, next one, if you have a wood stove, a gas stove, a pellet stove, or a fireplace insert that you're going to rely on for backup or supplemental heating, uh, the first day that it's cool enough to run it without, like, baking yourself out of the house, even if you have to open a few windows, give it a test run. Make sure everything's functioning. Make sure it's going to work. Make sure uh, that, that you're going to get what you expect out of it um, so that you don't, you know, kind of in the last minute decide it's, it's you know, you're going to need it and you, and you have a problem with it. You know, a pellet stove has a feed, uh, an auger feed. Uh, make sure it's working. I mean, they don't fail often, but you, you want to know now, not when it's really cold out and the power went out. And you thought, well, the pellet stove's going to keep us warm. Uh, or what have you. So whatever system you have as a backup heater, give it a test run. Make sure everything's working. Uh, I'm going to talk about some other backup heating options in a second, so I won't go there now. But you want to make sure everything functions. Uh, I really think if you're going to have any type of backup heat, standalone indoor propane heaters are a great uh, particular type of item to use, or kerosene heaters. I'm going to get to those in a minute. Um, there is a CO2 risk. With any kind of gas furnace, there's a CO2 risk. CO2 detectors are freaking cheap. 
All right? Um, so get some CO2 detectors to keep them in your home. Uh, I recommend more than one. If you have, I've seen them go off for no freaking reason at all. Uh, one went off when I was traveling. My wife and kids were in, uh, in Pennsylvania. We had a coal stove, but it hadn't been lit. Uh, we had, uh, what do you call them, uh, uh, kerosene heaters that weren't on. And we had, for electric heat, we had a baseboard electric heaters like are common in the Northeast. There's absolutely no freaking way on God's green earth there was any reason for there to be any CO2 problems in that house. She called me and said a detector's going off. I said, you know, I'd feel so terrible if I'm away and you guys go to sleep and don't wake up. You should probably call the fire department and tell them it's not an emergency. Everybody's out of the house. They freaking came, sirens and lights, three trucks. It's a small town. They probably didn't have much else to do, but they took it very, very seriously. Uh, my view is if we had had three or four detectors in there and we had just gotten rid of the one at a time where we really didn't think there was a problem and the other three didn't go off, um, you could have been okay with it. We could have just you know, accepted the fact that there's no reason for it. With one, if it's going off, um, you got to assume that there's something going on. Again, a house had no gas to it. There was really no way this could be done. I mean, the way this, the only way this could have happened is somebody backed a truck up to it and put a tailpipe with a hose into the house or something. But when you have that kind of an alert, take it seriously. So make sure you have the damn things. Uh, next up, consider some other backup heating options. Two that I think make a lot of sense. One is there are standalone propane heaters that are designed to be used indoors, uh, that are low CO2 output. Uh, and you need CO2 detectors if you're going to do this, but they're there and they're available. Uh, even some of them that use like the little uh, one-pound bottles. Those are a great backup source. When you're running these, you really should have a window cracked, right? So they're not a good source of permanent heat. They're a temporary thing because you do have a CO2 warning. Most good ones come with an internal oxygen detector. If the oxygen detector uh, detects the, the, the oxygen level in the room has gone down too low, it will automatically shut them off. Most of the good portable ones have, if they get knocked over, they shut themselves off. These are features that you want to have, uh, but they're a great idea. So, a lot of the same things for uh, kerosene heaters. We used kerosene heaters for supplemental heating uh, when we were in Pennsylvania after I had a job layoff uh, to cut our cost on heating, and we used them with no problems whatsoever, Again, you want to make sure uh, that you're, you're, you're only bringing the wick up to the right level. You don't want any smoke coming out of them. You want to make sure you have a cracked window somewhere uh, when you're running something like this. And you want CO2 detectors. But they're actually a very safe form of backup heating. And a lot of the fear around them involves them being used in a sealed room and running at full speed, you know, full tilt bore, so to speak. Uh, they produce a tremendous amount of heat, kerosene heaters do. And... That allows you to, you know, do things like crack a window and avoid any type of problems. And again, with CO2 detectors, uh, you've got a good backup and know if you need to kill them off. But to me, those are two great backup heating options uh, that when we get to generators, I'll talk about one of the big advantages that they give you. Another thing you need to do, though, is inventory your fuel and accessory requirements. A lot of people have a fireplace or a wood fireplace insert or, um, you know, uh, kerosene heaters or stuff like that, and they just rely on electricity. And those things are just for the power goes off, and okay, well, if the power goes off for a night or two, I'm good. You need to understand that we had people during the ice storm two years ago that went without power for three to four weeks. And I think it makes sense for you to have enough of the heating uh, fuels to take yourself through close to, if not a full month, without any support whatsoever, because it just may be what you have to do. Uh, next thing I want to recommend you do is make sure you protect your hose bibs, or your hose nozzles on the side of your house. Uh, you can get the little styrofoam things that hook on the outside. You can get some tape, heat tape that you can put on them. Those of you like myself that live in a mobile home, you really need to take some foam insulation and go well back underneath the structure of the home. It gets a lot colder under there than it would inside the foundation of a home, for instance, if it was going off into a slab or into a wall. Uh, definitely consider heat tape if you live in really cold climates. Uh, it, it's something that works very, very well. It's inexpensive, and it's easy to install. Uh, next, check up on all your kits. Uh, this really is the kit in your home, but your basic prepper kits that you have in your home, your cold weather kit, your blackout kit, your bug out kit, just check up on all of them. Make sure everything's working in there. If you have flashlights in them, for instance, turn them on and make sure they work. Make sure there's at least one set of spare batteries to every flashlight. 
If you've, the flashlight's been in there for over a year or two and you haven't used it much and it's still got batteries and then they're working, great. Take them and throw them the hell away and put new batteries in them. You're probably at, you know, getting real close to where the batteries are going to start getting corroded and ruin the flashlight. Uh, that's one big thing, guys, on your, on your flashlights. Anything that's battery powered, radios, anything. Make sure you're changing the batteries out, even if they still work after a certain amount of time. Because it sucks when you have a piece of equipment and you open it up and there's that green corrosion crap in there and your equipment's ruined and never works again, even if you put new batteries in it. So there's a time where a battery has expended itself. Another thing you can do with those batteries, though, take them out, put them in a Ziploc bag and consider them last resort batteries. Hey, if they still work, they still work. Check them out, see if they work once in a while. Um, but you, you definitely need to change batteries, and especially in a light that's not being used regularly. Uh, also consider backup lighting of some type of, of uh, you know, form or another. So little emergency power lights, uh, like Sylvania makes to plug into the wall. They look like a night light, but as soon as the power goes off, they come on. I'm about to review a product for you from a company called Mr. Beams. Uh, they sent me the basic kit, which is kind of a wall light an overhead light, and a remote control. The remote control plugs into the wall. If the power goes out, um, it immediately turns all the lights on. You can have you know 20 of these things coming off of one remote control, and then the remote control itself can be taken out of the wall, used like a flashlight, and used to turn these lights on and off with the push of a button. Uh, it's one of the most cool backup lighting systems I've seen. Runs on LED lights. The overhead lights are extremely bright. They run on, I think it's 4D batteries. They can basically provide days of lighting. Uh, so used intermittently, you know, and only when necessary, they can provide a lot more lighting. They also provide some lights that are just kind of the click on, click off manual ones. I, they seem a little bit expensive considering they're not part of the integrated system. You just may want to go down to your local Home Depot or Lowe's and get some of the under-counter lighting. Any of the LED lighting that's click-on, click-off is a great way to have backup lighting in your home. Last, I want to talk about considering a generator. Part of why I put so much emphasis on heating, you know, wood, gas, pellet stoves, uh, you know, uh, backup propane heaters, backup kerosene heaters. The less heating requirements you have in your home, the more you can do without electricity, the less backup generator you need to run everything else. So I think it's really important that we start to try to address the heating requirements. So let's say we don't have gas or, you know, a big propane tank at our home, natural gas service either. So we have to do an electric hot water heater. Being able to take a hot shower, really nice to be able to do. If we don't have to heat the home, if we can provide supplemental heating in the home with whatever secondary means we have, our generator requirements go down tremendously. And the, how long, even if we have a generator that can run the heating system, how long that generator can run on whatever amount of fuel that we have for it goes down uh, tremendously as well. So, or actually goes up tremendously as well. So we, we extend the running time of the generator system and we reduce the generator requirement if we can take care of heating with supplemental sources. So that's why I think it's really important, and it's part of assessing what type of generator needs you actually have. Let's talk a little bit about the car. I, I am less concerned about people being stranded at their home in wintertime than I am in a car. Your home is relatively capable of keeping you alive, even without backup heating, with blankets and things like that. Basically, you do the old kid thing and build a fort with a couple of mattresses and, and put everybody in there, and body heat will do a lot for that. Not a lot of people freeze to death, starve to death, and die in their homes in cold weather. It does happen. It can happen. Don't send me the email about somebody in Alaska that did it. When I state, make statements like that, it's, it's not normal. You're more likely to be walking down the road and get hit in the head with a four-inch hailstone and killed, which actually happened in Redbird, Texas. Uh, a storm, there was a tornado, bad tornado back in 99, the one that blew up the Bank One building. Um, this guy got hit with a hailstone, and it was the only casualty of the storm. So you're more likely to do that than freeze to death in your home uh, during a winter storm unless something corrupts the structure itself. Your car's a different story. If your car breaks down, yeah, you have shelter, but your shelter is a tin can. Uh, the interior of a car, if it's not running, rapidly becomes a freezer uh, in a cold environment. In, in fact, I've seen, once the sun's down, uh, you can actually sometimes notice that the temperature inside a car is actually lower than the temperature outside of a car uh, because it has a refrigeration effect, especially if it's like, I don't know, stranded in a snowbank. So it's important that we try to do everything we can to make our cars reliable and have a plan for what to do if something goes wrong with our car when we're on the road in winter climates. Number one, oil change. 
Uh, it's something that's like, again, it's the one that you would hear on the handyman or the mechanics, you know, backyard mechanics show or something like that. But it's so important. And it's also important, you know, maybe you're not quite where you think you need an oil change yet. Let's say you do it every 3,000 or you have a long running oil. Um, unless you're running a very specific, like a synthetic blend that's for your vehicle or something like that, uh, when you're running normal oil, this is a good time to move over to a winter oil weight. And I'm going to do this from the top of my head based on what I remember. But what I remember is that, like, okay, if you're in a climate uh, where your temperatures, you know, fall below zero degrees Fahrenheit, you want to run in the wintertime 5W30. If you are in an intermediate climate where it gets down to zero but not really below zero, 10W30. And if you're in a place where it doesn't ever really get below freezing, like, you know, like South Florida, and you would run 20W50. And those are your winter blends uh, that may not be exactly right, but... If when you go to get your oil changed and you say, I'm, you know, I want to run the right, right winter blend of oil, the people there should either be able to tell you what you need for your climate or you should go to a different place to get your oil changed because that's like the one thing they're supposed to know, right? What oil should I run this time of year? If they don't have, that's like going to a place and going, I'm here to learn my ABCs and they go, well, we're not sure what comes after C, but we'll start out with the first three. You would look for a new place to learn your ABCs. It's that basic. Um, next thing, and I think this is something that uh, people forget to do, and I know I'm really terrible about this, wiper blades. Uh, this is a time of year to, if you have any wear and tear on your wiper blades, they're dirt cheap, go down to Walmart or your local parts store or wherever and get a set of wiper blades for your car. It ain't hard. Put new wiper blades on your cars and trucks now. Um, the blades that are getting you by when it rains are going to get torn to hell the first time you're trying to take frost off the window with them, okay? Uh, I can't make it any more basic than that. And then that cold weather also will deteriorate what's left of them. So it's a good time for new wiper blades. Make sure you have ice scrapers in your car. Uh, I have occasionally made this mistake living in the south and not had a good ice scraper in the car and ended up doing something like using a compact disc uh, case to get ice off a window. Uh, if it's a little bit of frost, it's not a big deal. When it's, you know, when you get that freezing rain for the first time of year and it wasn't expected, it's a pain in the butt. And it takes a long time for that window to heat up enough. A good ice scraper along with your windshield wiper upgrade. Um, I also tell you, go out and get the windshield washer fluid that's not going to freeze. Now, many people do this all the time anyway, but Some people don't. So make sure you're getting windshield washer fluid uh, and refilling that windshield washer fluid reservoir with uh, an antifreeze style of uh, windshield washer fluid. Uh, with any kind of antifreeze thing, and it's really not an issue with the windshield washer stuff, but I'm going to talk about the coolest system in a minute. If you're doing your own work, please get antifreeze with a bittering agent in it. Please don't kill your neighbor's animals or your own animals or some little child uh, with some antifreeze that collects somewhere because it tastes like freaking Kool-Aid and it's it's green. It looks like Gatorade. All right, it, it is irresponsible that it even exists without the bittering agent in it. If you go get a professional uh, to do your your cooling system up, update, your maintenance, uh, ask them if they use antifreeze with a bittering agent in it. If they tell you no, tell them you can't do business with them and go elsewhere. And find someone who does, uh, because the market demanding it will be what makes the uh, shops use it. And, you know, I've told the story before, but I did lose a cat to antifreeze. I don't think it was an accident, but I'm not sure. If I was sure it wasn't what I think it is, there'd probably be a guy that was buried in a coal mine shaft in Pennsylvania somewhere. That's how angry it made me. But I wasn't sure, and you don't take drastic measures unless you're sure. But it's, uh, it's, it's a terrible thing. Uh, to lose an animal fat. So please, with any kind of antifreeze, bittering agent, public service announcement on that one done. Um, but make sure that you are using a good freeze-resistant windshield washer. A lot of times that will actually uh, help you with uh, basic frost on your windshield, a little squirt, and it'll come loose for you. Uh, cleaning care for your battery. It's probably a good idea to go out, remove the terminals, a little wire brush, a little baking soda and water, clean them off, rinse them off, put them back together. If you've had your battery for more than four years, you might want to take it into a shop, or if you know how to do it yourself, uh, give it a good test and determine whether or not it's time to replace that battery. Just because it started your car today doesn't mean it's in optimum shape. Batteries have a life expectancy. They do not last forever. Cold kills batteries. I can't put it any more bluntly than that. A battery that's on its last legs but doesn't look like it's on its last legs 
One good cold snap is what's going to kill it. Um, and next thing, uh, your fuel and air filters, not tremendously important, other than it's tremendously important as basic maintenance, but it's certainly a good time to do it. Uh, especially the air filters are cheap and easy to do. Most air filters are 10 bucks or less at your local auto parts or Walmart or department store. Uh, you can look it up in a book. You take off a cover. You stick it in there. You put it back on. Anybody can do it, even me. Uh, so, so that's a good idea. Good idea to check your belts and hoses. And if you're not a handy person, have somebody do it for you. Um, a belt and a hose are cheap and inexpensive to replace uh, when you don't need it replaced, when it's just like drop it off and we'll pick it up in an hour. Uh, it's very inexpensive parts. Actually, two things that are very easy to learn to do on your own. If you're trying to learn your own car maintenance, two great places to start now. There's timing belts. They require disassemb partial disassembly of the front end of the motors and things like that, depending on the vehicles, and that's difficult. But I'm talking about your basic belts or serpentine belts that are external and easy to get to. There's usually one or two uh, uh, pieces of equipment they run that you can loosen and, and uh, move them down and loosen that belt and take it off, put a belt back on. Uh, it's really a good idea, especially with a serpentine belt. If you've never done this before, and even when I've done it before, uh, and you're trying to figure out exactly how that belt runs back through, before you take the old one off, take a picture of it. All right, You do that, putting it back on is easy. Uh, getting a car manual is probably a good idea, a manual for your car, but nothing beats being able to look at the way something was. And with all how cheap digital cameras are in everybody's phone uh, anymore, not just cars, folks. There's a little extra tip in today's show. If you're going to take something apart, Take a picture of it while it's together, and if you're like taking it apart a bit at a time, and you get to like a complex thing where like three pieces fit together, take it slightly expanded. Take your phone, take a picture of it. It will pay off when you go to put it back together later. Uh, I wish back in the uh, in the early '90s when I was a kit mechanic in the army sometimes that I had had the ability to do that uh, with some pieces of equipment that were old and there were no manuals for anymore, or at least we didn't have any out in the field. Um, Consider getting snow tires if you're in an area where they need to be. I won't really say much more than that. If you have a 4x4 and you're thinking, well, if I get stuck, I'm going to get out my 4x4, check out your 4x4 functionality. Put it in, put it into 4x4, run it, make sure it runs. Uh, especially the one to check is your 4 low. Make sure you know how 4 low works in your vehicle. There's a lot of different ways 4 low works in a vehicle. In my Dodge, to go into 4-wheel drive low, I cannot be in park, I cannot be in gear. I have to put the vehicle in neutral and then shift down into 4 low. In my Ford to go to four low, I turn a little button or a little lever, basically, a little uh, dial is what it really is, to four low. And then i got to get out, and I've got, uh, basically, we call them pumpkins, but you have to turn them in on the wheels. There's a little thing. So if you have four-wheel drive, and you bought it because you're a soccer mom or soccer dad, and you think it's cool that you have four-wheel drive, make sure you actually know how to use not just four, but four low. Because a lot of times when you're stuck... Four-wheel drive doesn't do nothing for you. And please remember those of you, Bubba's included, with your four-wheel drives, yes, they help you go better in the snow. No, they don't help you stop better in the snow. You can get going, and you ain't going to stop any better. You are a big danger if you don't realize that to yourself and other people. Um, again, I think it's a good time to flush and replace your antifreeze coolant. I've already talked about the uh, concerns for animals and children with that and using an antifreeze that has a bittering agent added to it. I will add one thing. It costs about two cents per gallon to add that bittering agent. There's no reason that, it, that, that companies are not doing it on their own today. Um, but it's a good time to have your, your cooling system flushed out, replaced. Make sure you have the right mix of antifreeze to water. Uh, make sure your spare tire has air. I've had a lot of people, you got a spare tire? Yeah, you open up their trunk and you bang, and it's flat. All right. Um, make sure you have some jumper cables, and I think that's really very important. It really should go in the winter truck car uh, truck kit, which is my next section. Uh, but for some reason, I put it there, so I'll just say it now. Uh, jumper cables and carry extra fuel if it's practical. I've talked a lot about carrying extra fuel, and I'll get an email from somebody, dude. I have a Taurus, and I put like fuel in my fuel tank and in a gas tank, and put it in the trunk, and now my car smells like gas. Um, maybe you just can't carry extra fuel then if you have that type of a setup. If you have a pickup truck, though, it's real easy to have a couple of fuel cans strapped down in the back of that pickup truck. So if you can carry extra fuel, if it's practical for you to do it, consider carrying extra fuel with you. 
It's not just about you. And I've had people when I tell them that, well, I always make sure my, my tank's full. Well, number one, if you're stuck in a ditch for four or five days waiting for rescue because you went off the road and you can't get yourself out of there, uh, being able to turn your car, run it, and keep the, the, the heater going may take you more fuel than you think you need. Uh, and additionally, what happens when you come by some lady crying her eyes out on the side of the road without fuel? Having fuel is a great way to be a good citizen and help other people. Next up, let's talk about the winter car slash truck kit. Now, I want you to understand something here. Again, I'm going to say this again because I know I'm going to get, I can't believe, because every time I do a show with a list, I can't believe you forgot. I can't believe you left out. Look, I'm going to say it just this way. You should have your bug out bag and your bug out vehicle kit in your vehicles at all times, winter, summer, spring, spring and fall. Apocalypse, post-apocalypse, or pre-apocalypse, Okay. So all the stuff that would be in there, we don't need to really rehash. I'm just going to talk about some things that are very specific to winter. Number one, cold weather gear. A lot of us that have our bug out bags and live in warm climates tend to keep extra t-shirts and socks and, you know, a pair of shorts and things like that in our bug out bags. Winter is time to start thinking about putting that old Woolrich, uh, uh, jacket you don't wear anymore in there or something like that. Personally, with my vehicle kits, uh, I keep things kind of sorted out and divided up, but pretty much there's winter and summer clothing in them at all times. But it's a good idea to just go through and see what you have and see, is there anything, and a lot of times what happens is you'll upgrade your equipment, uh, your day-to-day use equipment, like maybe you update to a really nice Gore-Tex jacket, and then you have another jacket you don't really need anymore, uh, and you think, well, maybe I'll go give this to Goodwill. Well, maybe go into your winter kit, and maybe you keep the better one and take the one that was in the winter kit and give that to Goodwill. I'm not saying not to be charitable, but I am saying two is one and one is none. So maybe I don't need three, uh, but I, I want two at least. And remember, you may be taking care of other people, so you need at least two of everything. Uh, you may end up in a situation where, you know, it's real gentlemanly on a movie or something when the guy takes his coat off and puts it on the woman, but if he freezes to death, he's done no one any good. So it makes sense to have additional cold weather gear beyond your immediate needs. Um, so this is clothing, this is blankets, this is all that space blankets. And with the space blanket, you know the little ones that fold up like smaller than a deck of cards? They suck, they suck, they suck. Still have a couple of them because they can save your life, but they suck. Imagine sleeping in a giant potato chip bag. Uh, that's what it's like. You can get the space blankets that have a tarp on the other side. Space blanket attached on one side, tarp on the other. Inexpensive, a much better emergency piece of equipment. Remember, wool is your friend. With clothing and blankets and everything, wool insulates even when wet. In cold, cotton kills. It's great until it gets wet. And then it turns into a refrigerator. And in the words of Dave Canterbury, and then you bought it because it had North Face on it, and then you die. All right, that's exactly how he said it in his last presentation I listened to. Not a fan of North Face, Mr. Canterbury, uh, there, but I agree with the cotton fleece thing. It's fine for day-to-day wear around the town and the city and all, but don't trust your life to it. A shovel, that should be in there anyway, but really, really important in ice and snow and getting out of, of stuck places. On that note, traction material, salt, cat litter, something like that, uh, should be in your vehicle, uh, really at all times as well. It gets you out of mud and other things as well. A come-along or a winch. You know, a come-along will generally only get you to, you know, be able to move a vehicle an inch or two. But generally, if you're run, you have somebody in the vehicle using the accelerator and uh, you use a come-along to pull that vehicle just a little bit, it'll come the rest of the way out on its own. Uh, a winch is a great idea, especially with a Jeep or an SUV or a truck or something like that. And there are winches that don't need to be permanently mounted to your vehicle that basically you mount a mount for the winch and you take the winch off, put it away, and you keep it in like your like a truck, you know, like a, a toolbox on the back of it is a great place to keep all of this stuff and keep it secure and safe from, from theft, at least as safe as you can make it. And that way the winch isn't there as a big theft target, but if you need it, you can mount it up real quick and use it. So uh, consider something like that. Your local truck accessory store can be able to show you all kinds of stuff like that. Probably try to upsell you, but at least give you an idea of what's available. A good stable jack. If you have one of them little scissor crap jacks that came with your car, keep it, but go out to the store and get yourself a good stable jack. Uh, when I had uh, Tim Glantz from Old Grouch on, he mentioned the hijack. We've got one of those for the vehicles uh, now. Uh, I think they're a great addition. But I'll tell you what I keep in, in my trucks and in my car. 
the little floor jacks, the ones that are like a miniature version of the great big ones mechanics use at a shop where they've got the four wheels on them and the handle and the little thing to turn. And it's a very stable uh, jack, very low profile, able to get under even most lower vehicles. There are times when the only thing you'll need to do to get out of being stuck, this isn't just for changing your tire, is lift up the, the wheel that's slipping and put something with traction underneath that wheel, let the vehicle back down and you drive straight out. A tree branch, a board, whatever. I've seen people with levers trying to lever a vehicle up. Two guys pushing on trying to shove a tree branch under there. And you go, hey, I'm happy to help you, man, but do you guys have a jack? And they all look at each other like, you know, an ape discovering fire or something. And they go, uh-huh. Well, why don't you just take your jack, lift up the tire, and shove it underneath there and let it down and get all the traction you need to get out. So a good stable jack, not just that cheap scissor jack, But do inspect and account for all your spare tire tools. Usually you have a lug wrench or something like that. I think it makes sense to add a four-way uh, that, that has the right fitting for your lug nuts on your tire. Much better uh, and quicker in, in many situations to change a tire with a four-way than a little lug wrench that comes with your kit. But the kit that, come, that did come with your vehicle, make sure it's there. Um, here's one for you. Do you have a locking lug nut that needs a special uh, little lug nut? tool to take it off so no one steals those really pretty cool tires and rims that you have? Do you know where the little keyed thing is that gets that one lug nut off? Because if you don't, guess what? You're hosed. You're completely and totally hosed. If you have a locking nut to keep your tires and wheels safe, you had better know where the little tool to get it off is. And I'm telling you, I've, I've, you know, just talking to people at tire shops and all, I've asked them, you know, you ever get a guy coming in and he wants his tires rotated or whatever and they have locking, and he says it happens all the time. And my only thought is if you're out in the middle of nowhere with that, a pro and this is the big thing, it's not you're going to die from this. You call a tow truck, you know, have a AAA card for God's sakes. It's one of the best investments I've ever made. But, It's something that you could have taken 15 minutes to fix, and now it's a complete disruption to your life because you didn't know where one important tool was. And probably what's going to happen is when it gets back to the, the shop, the guy's going to tear all the crap out of your trunk because he's not out there in the dark and the cold and find it for you. Find it while you have the time. Make sure you know where it is and keep it in a very specific place. And that's probably not done under your seat with the rest of your tire-changing gear. It's probably in a bag in your glove box where it's easy to find where it doesn't get separated and roll under somewhere. Just saying. Uh, next up, consider a tool like the Power Dome EX or some other backup uh, jump-starting tool. Power Dome EX has a uh, air compressor in it, which a lot of times if you just have a low on-air tire, you can get yourself aired up enough to get somewhere safer to do the change yourself or get it taken care of by somebody else if you're not going to do it for yourself, or at least just get home. Uh, it has an emergency radio, which is something you should have anyway, and it's on my list and next. Uh, it has an emergency light, and it has the ability to jump a vehicle with a dead battery. Uh, it is probably the best tool that I've seen out of all these, and it has a backup power inverter as well. So I think it's a great idea to have one of those in every vehicle. I'll put it to you this way. We do. We have one in every vehicle. We will always have one in every vehicle. I've had people say, after three years, it stopped taking a charge. They're a hundred bucks. After three years, if it stops taking a charge, it was $30 a year. Buy a new one or pop the battery out and repair it yourself. It's up to you how you want to do that. I would personally probably just buy a new one at that point and uh, see if I could get the other one to work to make it some type of other backup tool uh, or what have you, or take it down to my local pawn shop if I can get it to work good enough that it passes muster with them and probably get $25 bucks for it toward my new one. I'm just saying it's a great tool. I've had mine about three years, and they still all work just fine, except for the one that I was a dumbass, forgot I threw it in the back of the truck and let it rain on it. That one doesn't work anymore. Uh, at least doesn't work the way it's supposed to. Uh, an emergency radio is a great idea, and I say that in addition to something like a Power Dome EX, your hand crank style radios or something like that, because uh, if the vehicle's electrical system down, at least you have some connection with the outside world and what's going on. Cell phone chargers. Those of you who live in mixed cell phone households, where one has the Android and one has the iPhone or whatever. Get a car cell phone charger for both phones for each vehicle because you don't know who's going to be in. I don't care if mom always takes the car and dad always takes the Jeep. 
Sometimes that changes, and you may need to charge your phone. This is for all year round, but especially important in winter when you've gone off the road and you're 15 feet from the highway and you can't open the car door because of the snow. And for you he-men that say, oh, get out of there somehow, it's your wife or insert daughter or what have you, um, a cell phone call and a continuous ability to keep the cell phone charged might save their freaking life. It's a cell phone charger. It's 20 bucks or less. Get one for every phone and put it in your car. Is that clear enough for those of you that think it's wasteful? Uh, and some fire starting material, which again, I almost left out because it should be there anyway, but uh, even more important in the winter, uh, road flares are great for that. I, I, as I wrap up today, I want to talk about some common sense procedures. All the stuff in the world is nowhere near as important as, uh, as the way you think, the way you act, the way you improvise, the way you overcome, and sometimes what you don't do. Um, I, I think, I can't remember who said this, but I remember one person said there is no survival kit for stupid. It might have been Dave Canterbury. Um, but if you're dumb enough, I can give you every piece of equipment in the world and you'll still figure, you'll probably figure out how to use the equipment to kill yourself. And, and here's the fundamental reality. Mother Nature is a bitch, and she's a heartless, cold bitch. On some levels, Mother Nature is a wonderful thing that can give you everything you need to survive and live a wonderful life. But on a dime, she switches into bitch mode, and there's a blizzard and a whiteout and an ice storm on top of it, and it will kill you dead. So if you're going anywhere in wintertime, even if the, for the weather guesser says, it's going to be a beautiful day, it's going to be one of the best winter days we've had in a long time, he could be wrong. So when you go somewhere, my recommendation, very strong recommendation for you, is estimate how long it should take you to get there and make sure someone is aware of your plans. If you're going somewhere that should take you two hours to get there and you ain't shown up in five and no one knows you went or are coming, no one is looking for you. If someone knows you went and has not heard from you and you aren't there yet, they're probably going to alert authorities that you were going from point X to point Y and it was supposed to take you two hours to get there and it's now been four and a half and maybe someone should go out and look and see if there's anything wrong. And then somebody might come out and freaking help you. Right? And they would know where you are instead of, well, uh, you know, he's not here and he's not there and he's not elsewhere. They'll have no idea where you're going. So have a travel plan especially in winter, and make someone you trust aware of it and check in with them, right? And for those of you who think, you know, I didn't grow up so that I could have someone to check in with, you're, you're being stupid, right? And it's men that have the problem with this, you know. I don't want to have to check in with my wife. Well, you need to take care of your wife, and you need to take care of your kids, Mr. He-Man. Uh, and if you're, you know, even if you're not married, you, if you've got parents that are older, you need to take, there's probably someone in your life you need to take care of. And if you die, you can't do that. Right? Or if you're severely hurt and injured and what was a minor injury turns into a life-altering thing and someone else has to take care of you because you weren't smart enough to take a basic thing like having a plan, know where you're going and have someone know that at a time of year where you're more susceptible to injury or death or occurrence than any other, well then it's your fault because you were stupid and you didn't think of other people, just yourself. Right? So that's as blunt as I can be. Because every year this happens to somebody. They're out there stranded and people don't even know where to look for them. And there's a, a wife or a mother or a daughter or a father in tears on the TV set because somebody was too arrogant to think that life applied to them. Please don't be that guy. There's that thing going around now, don't be that guy, right? Well, don't be that guy. That's not the guy you want to be. Even if it never comes to it, you don't want to just live with that risk. And it's such a simple thing. You know, when you're going somewhere in wintertime and there's any potential for winter, winter weather, Travel plan is someone aware of it. Um, let me give you one more, and this is one where I'm going to get all nasty and mean and yell at you again. Sometimes don't go is the only freaking answer. All right, This I've had to do with my wife at least three or four times. Down in Texas, we don't get a lot of snow and a lot of ice, but we get some. And when we do, it always happens the same way. You get an ice storm, and the ice puts down about a quarter inch of, of black ice on top of the road. Then it snows on top of the ice, and then retards that think they can go fast in their four-wheel drives go out there and drive on it and get in wrecks, and while they're driving on it and getting wrecks, they pack the snow into an ice layer on top of the ice, and then usually in the morning, a little bit more of the snow switches back to ice, and you end up with this, this just death-based uh, coating on the roads. And then the sun comes out, and it starts to melt, and it looks like it's okay to drive, and there's 
you know, a hundred yards of safety and then a hundred yards of death. And then, uh, she'll want to drive to work. And this is where the 50.1% dictatorship takes over. And I go, you are not leaving the house. And anybody at your office that does not understand that can talk to me. And that's how you need to be, man. You don't let your, you don't let anybody in your family risk their life for something stupid. Uh, your employer that gives you a guilt trip because he lives around the block from work and was able to get in and you live 25 miles away is not going to come to your hospital bed and take care of you and he's damn sure not going to feed your family and take care of them when you're gone. And it's just, this is in many instances, you know, that last minute shopping trip, it'll wait. When you turn on the weather guesser and instead of him saying, it's going to be nice, and he says, this is going to get nasty, this is going to be dangerous, these are bad conditions, uh, what have you, trust that he'll be right and make decisions to sometimes just not go. This means doing smart stuff like having your extra food in your home before winter. Right? So I didn't talk a lot about food today because we talk about food storage all the time here. But it, a lot of times people will have food stored, but the basic staples of every day that are, you know, expendables, the milk and the bread and the eggs, you know, they're going to run out at the last minute for. Even if you don't get hurt, even if you don't get killed, if you just wreck the car, come on, it's about to be Christmas time. Sorry, Johnny, we can't get you that present we promised you because dad wrecked the car. We have a $500 deductible, right? Why add these, these things to your life? So sometimes due to risk of property and sometimes due to risk of life and limb, the answers don't go. And if you have, this is a big thing I want you to understand, and this is about everything we talk about. There will be times folks. There will be times when you have a decision, go or stay. And when you move toward one or the other, because sometimes go is the right answer. When you move toward one or the other, you're going to get this tightness in your stomach and the hackles on your hair go up on the back of your neck. Let me tell you what that is. A long, long time ago, and I don't care what anybody believes about this, a long, long time ago, men and women wandered the plains of Africa and, the, and, and every other place that they could find their way into. And they evolved in, in certain ways. And this isn't the way anybody's religious belief, but if you put any, any person or thing in a place long enough, they'll evolve to the environment. And in that environment, there were things that would eat you. Lions and tigers and bears, oh my. And a, a lot of the people that were like that we protect today, they got eaten. Which meant the people that didn't get eaten, right? The ones that were the ones that had the hackles go up on their neck. And realized something was there. They couldn't see the lion. They couldn't smell the lion. They couldn't hear the lion. But they had walked away from the campfire to take a leak, and they knew the lion was behind them. And they did something very important. They knew he was there. They responded accordingly. They didn't run, because if you run, you're dead. Right? They didn't just stay there continuing to take a whiz, because if you do that long enough with your back to the lion, you're dead. They took appropriate action. They backed out of the situation. They got other people to run the lion off with them. So, in us, in human beings... Is that predator-prey instinct, a sixth sense if you want to call it that, an instinct that tells us no or go. And when we feel that, we got to give it a sanity trick with logic once in a while, but if we feel that, it behooves us to trust it. Um, I took a trip up into Oklahoma not long ago with my wife. It was supposed to be a day trip. We're coming home. It's getting very, very dark. We're on the windy part of Highway 7, way up by Highway 40 uh, in, in, in um, Arkansas. She had actually kind of hurt her back a little bit, just something weird where you move a certain way. And I was like, do you think we should get a hotel? And this was like an hour before we got to that area, you know, so you don't have to be in the car this long. And she said, no, no, I'll be fine. From the minute I said that forward, I couldn't get anything else out of my head. I had a feeling, you know what, tonight we just don't need to be on that road. So we stopped and we paid 70 bucks for a hotel and we paid an extra day for the dogs to stay in their boarding. Um, what would have happened? Probably nothing. I don't know. But when I feel that, I trust it. And what I'm telling you, especially with this winter stuff, is when you're thinking, I could probably, but in the, you get that feeling, trust it. It is a human sense that we are all born with and modern society has taught us to bury it I'm telling you to trust it. Neither overreact to it nor ignore it. It's just like the lion. You overreact and run, you're lion chow. You ignore it, you're lion chow. Only by acknowledging it and taking appropriate action with logic for the individual situation is it useful to you. And it will keep you alive. It's your survival instinct. You say five sentence, senses, I say there's a sixth one, survival instinct. 
Trust it, especially this time of year. Uh, some basic things to finish up with. One, keep all items charged. If it's something that you recharge, make sure it's fully charged, especially as we get into like, you know, ice storms, wind storms, and snow. Take out electricity. Cold snaps, take out electricity. Everybody turns the heat on at the same time. Boom. The grid's not ready for it. Boom. Down it goes. I've had that happen. Uh, right here in Arkansas, temperature went down to seven degrees. They had forecasted it to be in the twenties overnight. It went to seven. Uh, the power company just wasn't ready for it. The town was without power for about, I think, 15, 16 hours, basically until the sun came up and the temperatures warmed up. Uh, so make sure anything you're planning on using is charged up and ready to go. Uh, and then the last one. And I think this is maybe the most important one, and it's kind of been a theme throughout today's entire show. Test anything you can answer a what-if question with. So if, you're, if my question to you would be, well, what will you do if, and fill in the blank with anything, occurs this winter, and you say, I will go get my XYZ and use it to ABC. Go do it now. Go try it out now. The time to have equipment failures is when the equipment is not needed or depended on. This is not just about life and death. This is about convenience and about lifestyle and about happiness. We're heading to a time of year with Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's. It's supposed to be joyful. We're supposed to have families together. Sometimes this stuff really is about whether or not we stay alive. Sometimes this is about not getting really, really hurt even if we do stay alive. But sometimes it's just about having conveniences. And I'll tell you what, if Uncle Joe and Aunt Sarah and, you know, Cousin Bobby and whatever are all over your house and the power goes out and your backup lighting comes on, you go out and fire up your generator, you toss a log in the fire or fire up the pellet stove, you break out the freaking, um, the French presses or whatever and start making some hot cocoa, turn on the freaking, uh, backup radio to a Christmas station, uh, playing Christmas carols and rock on with your party, all of those people that were resistant to preparedness will go, huh, gee. Maybe I need to pay attention to these crazy survivalists. Maybe they're not so crazy after all. So not only may it be a way to preserve some really beautiful things, uh, some really special parts of this time of year, these, these holiday times of the year. And, and to those of you that are, you know, Jewish or Muslim, Ramadan or whatever, uh, Hanukkah, uh, and if I got Ramadan, if that's not the Christmas time thing, if I got that wrong, I don't mean to, I just don't know your faith. There's almost every, person out there has something that's special about this time of year, whether it's cultural or it's just, you know, even if it's secular. I mean, Christmas is celebrated by plenty of people that wouldn't really call themselves Christians or practicing Christians because it's just become part of the American culture. This is a great time of year. Thanksgiving brings families together. Be prepared so that you can preserve those things. It's not always life and death. Sometimes it's just the preservation of a lifestyle or preserving at a time of year where maybe certain members of the family only see each other once a year or they only see each other once every five years. You know, once every five years, Aunt Sue and, 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 and Uncle Tom get down from New York State or whatever it is. I don't know for you, but there's a lot of times that's the case. Well, those are the times that you want to really be prepared to not just demonstrate what preparedness is all about, but preserve that memory to make it enjoyable instead of like, you know, going, man, I wish you would have been came this year. Uh, and it can be that simple or it can be that serious. And the point of being prepared is not being prepared in case it's that serious. It's being prepared for everything. Remember, we do not prepare for events uh, with modern survival philosophy. We prepare for life and we prepare to assure our lives no matter what happens. But in the spirit of the ant and the grasshopper, what have I always told you? Winter always comes. Well, Old Man Winter's knocking at the door, and I hope today's episode gave you some things to think about and being prepared for his arrival, because whether you're an ant or a grasshopper, the winter will always come. If you're a grasshopper, winter sucks. If you're an ant, it's a great time of year. And with that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. 
Revolution is you. 